This week's episode is brought to you by ISTE. At ISTE Live 23, on June 25th through 28th in Philadelphia and online, you'll discover what's next in education and explore ideas for using tech to revolutionize learning. Get inspired about teaching and learning as you reconnect with peers and meet an enthusiastic global community of educators. And then bring that joy back to your school. Register now at isteconference.org. Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I'm an editor and a reporter here at Ed Surge, a nonprofit newsroom covering all levels of education. This week, we are handing the microphone over to a student journalist. We're bringing you a recent episode of the Miseducation Podcast, which is produced by high school students in New York City public schools. The episode you're about to hear digs into an issue that is a big one at schools around the country, how to manage the use of smartphones by students in a way that balances the wishes of students and their parents with the need for educators to manage distraction in the classroom. The student reporter for this episode of the Miseducation Podcast takes us inside a high school trying a new approach that officials say is working, but that has sparked complaints and pushback from many students. Stay tuned after this short episode by the student to learn more about that podcast, which is run by a nonprofit founded by two former teachers with journalism backgrounds. Regular listeners may remember that we told the story of that podcasting effort in an episode of the Ed Surge podcast late last year. And so we're going to replay that episode today as well. So you're getting a double feature this week. Okay, so first up, here is the recent episode of the Miseducation podcast, which is titled Locked Up Phones. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. It was boiling and there was lots of disgruntled chatter. It was 2018. First day of seventh grade. The administration at my school, the Bronx Academy of Letters, was implementing a new, strange-sounding policy called Yonder. Y-O-N-D-R. It's a company that makes lockable phone pouches. The school had us all standing in a long line in front of the building. At the front, each student was asked if they had a phone. If you answered no, they'd call your parents to confirm. If you answered yes, you were given a Yonder pouch a gray neoprene pouch with locking magnetic flaps at the top. Every day from then on, after swiping our IDs, we'd grab a pouch from the bin, drop our phones in, and then go to class. Students had strong feelings about the new policy. I believe that Yonder is a waste of time, and I just don't think it's crucial. Like, I don't think it's necessary, because we're very old, we're mature. If they ask us to put our phones away, we will put our phones away. It's never that serious. I just don't think that it's necessary. Uh, I would say it probably just makes teachers more untrustworthy of students, because they are aware of students breaking open pouches. Every time whenever we mention how pointless it is to teachers, they don't really care. But other times they just say, oh, it's better than having the phone out and this and that. These students bring up big questions. Is the Yonder phone policy discounting student maturity? How is the policy affecting student-teacher relationships? Even if Yonder accomplishes its main goal, keeping students off their phone during class, Should schools just continue to apply the policy with zero regard for its opposition? My name is Zainab Kuta, and I'm a reporter for the Miseducation Podcast, 
You're listening to Season 7, Questioning the Status Quo. This is Locked Up Phones. In this episode, I'll be taking a close look at the impact of restrictive cell phone policies on schools like mine. People who support the Yonder Pouches will tell you that it helps the student learning by removing distractions from the classroom. Yonder works like a subscription, and it costs schools six dollars to $7,000 annually. Nationwide, as of 2020, 76% of schools ban cell phones in the classroom. I sat down with Amy Schles, my principal at Bronx Academy of Letters, and I asked why the administration chose to use Yonder as a phone policy. We first considered Yonder several years ago um, in 2018, I believe, the fall of 2018, um, because we had found that students having cell phones um, was interfering with student learning. However, the rollout of Yonder wasn't the smoothest. So it was hard to implement and keep consistent. Students were breaking pouches. Um, We would find phones out of pouches and have to have consequences, um, but we weren't seeing phones in classrooms, which was the main goal of the policy. But when the pandemic happened in 2020, all of a sudden some students began relying on their phones to be able to participate in remote learning. When we returned to the building for hybrid learning, students were not expected to lock up their phones. But when school returned to fully in person, the policy was brought back, and this time stronger. So I decided in over the summer that in the September of 2022, we were going to really bring back Yonder full force, full implementation, full follow through. Um, So we have, you know, people checking every morning um, and there's a ladder of consequences. And I do know that there are issues with the policy, right? Like it's not always that every phone is locked up every single day. However, for the majority, we do not see phones in classrooms or during transitions or anything like that. So I think that my main reasoning for re-implementing it strongly was all around student learning. I think a huge part of student learning is our relationships with our teachers. I sat down with my school's history and debate teacher, Mr. Kossoff, to get his take. There are definitely positives and negatives to Yonder. So it creates moments in between students and teachers that might create tension in the room and also might destroy little relationships between the teachers and students because they have to, you know, have that moment where they're telling a student that they can't have this and they're having their personal cell phone taken away, which uh, even for an adult could be really difficult. I can imagine that navigating that tension between teachers and students is very challenging. As a teacher, it's very easy to identify if somebody is not following the process. If they have a phone out, that shouldn't be happening, so then we have to you know, send it in. Um, the biggest con for Yonder, though, is that uh, I, I don't think adults, I don't think this would be an appropriate thing for adults to do, and we work with you know, high school seniors and juniors and kids that are entering the real world, and for them to be able to learn how to use their cell phone properly in an educational or professional setting, I think is a skill they need to learn, and we are not teaching students that skill. Yonder takes the responsibility of knowing when it is and isn't appropriate to have your phone out away from students. When you take away a student's choice, they don't feel like they're being respected. There's a disconnect in terms of trust between students and teachers. 
How do you think Yonder affects student-teacher relationships? Because I know you guys have a contract where it's like, if you see a phone, then you have to like, like slack it and report it. And in my experience, I have seen my fair share of student and teacher arguments where like Yonder ignited that. So, so yeah. I mean, I don't think Yonder completely gets rid of that. That argument is still going to happen. That was Mr. Doby, a history teacher at Bronx Academy of Letters Middle School, where Yonder is also enforced for young students. But I think since students know that the expectation is that they're not supposed to have a phone, I see less phones out to begin with. So I think it just reduces the likelihood of those arguments or confrontations happening. And now, again, there is, like, a set policy as opposed to, like, it used to just be, like, give me your phone, which is never, like, a fun thing to try to say to uh, any person. It's just like, hey, give me your property. I never really liked uh, doing that. I wanted to compare Mr. Doby and Mr. Kossoff's perspectives with a student. I spoke with my friend Rakia, who is currently student president of Harlem Prep High School. Her school also uses Yonder. When my school first started the Yonder Prep system, most people weren't happy with it, you know, including myself, because like it felt like they were taking away our phones from us, even for for students who aren't actively on their phones during class. So it did feel like, you know, they were violating me, you know, like I did feel all those feelings of like distrust and all that when it first started. Rakia's school, like mine, has a largely black and Latino student population. Since she's an elected representative of her school, she has to listen to and address student concerns while also working with her school's admin. Like, I get the purpose. Um, For my school specifically, I wish they would have talked to students first about implementing this instead of just going ahead and behind our backs and doing it. But now looking back on it, it's not that bad. I definitely see the pros and cons of Yonder as a phone regulation policy. I wanted to hear what Yonder itself thought about what students had to say. So I sat down with two Yonder representatives from the NYC division, Kat, the manager of educational partnerships, and Jade, the leader of student programming. How does it make you guys feel to hear students say um, that they don't like Yonder? I think it's, it's really interesting to hear. This is Jade. I think for me in particular, it definitely opens up my mind to figure out different ways to have students be more interested and to really understand why Yonder is actually in place, not to see it as something punitive. Because I do think that, you know, overall, if someone were to take my phone right now, it would feel mildly punitive and I would think that there was something wrong with it. But I think when you do have that ability to understand the ideology behind it and building that healthy habit, then I think it does open this different dialogue with the students. Where are the demographics of the schools who ask for Yonder? I bring up demographics because my research shows that Yonder is common in schools that are in low-income areas, and that includes my own. As of late, we really have the majority of our schools, I would say, in the Bronx and Brooklyn. This is Kat. Those are the two major boroughs that we see traction in. It's also where we had some of our first initial partnerships. So we have over 300 partners at this stage in the New York City area, with the majority in those two areas, as well as a growing population in Queens, as well as in uh, Manhattan, mostly uptown, as well as starting in the Lower East Side. So those are the locations of those schools, middle schools and high schools, as well as some elementary 
Um, since bringing Yonder into schools, do you see any actual like tangible positive results, like increased focus and less disruption during class? Yeah, I think our stats sit somewhere around, um, I believe it's like 65% of our schools see a positive uptick in focus and attention in the classroom. And then we have less distractions in the space. And we also have a higher percentage about closer to 80% are reporting that social and emotional benefits like more engagement, seeing students interact with each other or in class and participating has increased tenfold just because of the fact that they don't have you know, that distraction or something that is keeping them away from really being present in that moment. So we have that data, but also just the qualitative and continuing conversations with uh, admin about what they've sensed as a shift in the space and how they're able to connect with their students and vice versa. I attempted multiple times to interview someone from the NYC Department of Education, but the press office declined to comment. After talking to my principal, teachers, students, and the Yonder reps, my main takeaway is this. Yonder ultimately accomplishes its purpose of more focused student learning. However, it comes at a cost. The message that the policy sends to students is that they aren't responsible enough to understand when it's appropriate to use their phones. It can also lead to a breakdown in trust between students and teachers. There's a world in which the rigidness of Yonder isn't necessary. Many schools do just fine without it. In fact, in a quick poll of my fellow miseducation interns, it was clear that many of their schools have found a middle ground that allows students to use their phones during lunch or other break period, but keep them in their backpacks during class. Ultimately, the biggest issue in all of this is students feeling like they have no voice. Whatever cell phone policies schools choose, students should be involved in the decision-making process. We recognize the importance of focusing during class. We want to learn. And if given the opportunity, I'm confident that we can work together with our school's administrators to find a compromise that meets our needs. This episode was reported by me, Zainab Kuta, with production and editing support from Jade Abdul-Malik, Esther Alatiche, Sabrina Dukeni, Mira Gordon, and Taylor McGraw. Music from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Ray Rodriguez and Gimlet Media, as well as Hindenburg Systems. The Miseducation Podcast is a program of The Bell. Our work is made possible in part by the Pinkerton Foundation, the Summerfield Foundation, and FJC. You can learn more about our work and find all past episodes at bellvoices.org. If you're listening on a podcast app like Apple or Spotify, please drop us a quick rating and review. And don't forget to follow at Miseducation Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for listening. That was a recent episode of the student-produced Miseducation Podcast. You can check out the rest of the episodes in their latest season at bellvoices.org. After hearing that, you may be curious about how these high school students pull off these deeply reported stories about issues that they face in school. So for an added bonus this week, we're bringing you the EdSurge podcast episode that I did in November, where we told the story of this podcasting effort. Here is that episode. What if you gathered a group of high school students in New York City, gave them fancy microphones and some training, 
and challenge them to make an investigative podcast about the issues they cared about the most. What would they explore? Is college is still a necessity? The college application process. The mental health of teenagers during quarantine. How stressed students are, you know. Yep, those are New York City high school students. And that is from a brainstorming meeting run by a nonprofit called The Bell. The group was founded by two former teachers with a journalism background and a belief that one way to improve education is to elevate the voices of students. But getting their idea off the ground has been a lot of work, both for the educators in charge and for the student reporters, as is clear from a behind-the-scenes episode the students recently released. The introduction is supposed to be like a page, more than a page and a half, and I'm just like, how are we, we going to do that? <laughs> oh my God. This is, I'm going to have to go listen to some podcasts. On this week's podcast, we talk with two leaders of this unusual program. Hi, I'm Taylor McGraw. I am the co-founder and executive director of The Bell. Hi, I'm Sabrina DeKenny, uh, the student program manager here at The Bell. And we learn how their student-driven podcast is going, both the challenges they've faced and how they've managed to get featured on one of the top podcasts in the country. I started by asking The Bell's co-founder, Taylor McGraw, how he got started in this podcasting effort. Yeah, so... um... I can take us back to, I guess, 2016. Um, I was still teaching. I, I had started teaching in 2012 and, um, you know, I was working at, at schools in, in Harlem and then eventually in Brooklyn. Let me turn that off. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had a good time as a teacher. I enjoyed teaching, but I felt like a couple of things. One, um, I just I wasn't able to really have as much of an impact on uh, the trajectory of students and the, sort of the school system at large as I you know wanted to, and um, I also had all of these skills as a as a journalist, and I felt like the instruction in schools like it was just so limiting. Um, I remember talking to my principal once and, and saying like, hey, you know, we're doing all of this really formal essay writing with students and everything's like got to be, you know, sourced and researched and it's like, uh, you know, MLA style. And I, I said, you know, could we do like a creative writing project? You know, can we can we write some poetry? And she looked at me and she said, um, they're not going to be tested on that. She said that that's not on the AP exam. That's not going to help them um, become better writers for, for college. And I, A, like, I, I couldn't disagree more. But um, that was kind of the sign that I, my philosophy was not going to fit with what was going on in that school. And so anyway, I, um, at the same time, I was getting an MFA in creative writing at the new school. And um, there was this flyer on the wall of the new school in the student union that said, um, if you've got an idea, like a sort of social entrepreneurship type idea, um, we've got this competition. You can win up to, I think, five or $10,000. Um, and in that moment, it just sort of struck me like, hey, like, you know, maybe I could pursue something and, and you know, sort of at the intersection of journalism and education. And I had never done podcasting um, I listened to a few podcasts, but I didn't really know how to do it. 
Um, but it just, it struck me that that was a medium that could be really powerful with students that, um, you know, just to be able to hear students' voices um, talking about the school system, talking about the you know, education they received and like what they, you know, what was missing, you know, what, what they wanted, what they wanted adults to understand that adults were getting wrong. Um, because so much of the education coverage was just adults shouting at each other. And it was really, you know, hard for me as a teacher to like read those stories and, and know that the issues that were being discussed weren't at all the issues that were relevant to my students. And so um, went for it, um, pitched this, this podcast, education podcast idea to the new school um, with my co-founder, Adrian. So that's another key part of the story. Adrian's also a former journalist, former teacher. Um, he, had, he had recently moved to New York from Chicago. And um, yeah, the two of us, we, we entered this competition and, and we won um, so, sort of surprisingly. And so we got, uh, I think they gave us $5,000. We bought a podcast, you know, my, I didn't, I had to Google. I said, I, I remember typing into Google, like what, um, what podcast mic does Ira Glass use? And like, that was what we bought. Nice. Yeah. I've done, I did that search early on, except for I used, I, I used a different podcaster, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just figuring it out. That was it. It just it sort of went from there. I um, wound up getting into uh, high schools around the city and just having conversations with students. Um, eventually met Sabrina and some of her peers. And um, yeah, the rest is history. Um, that's awesome. And so and Sabrina, how did so when did you first start in this uh, saga, Sabrina? You know, it was when I, I actually saw Taylor at my academic program. He gave a presentation um, about just the inequities in the school system. And he showed us some, some really, really jarring statistics that I had like never really seen before. Um, just about, you know, just the lack of resources in, in schools in general. And I mean, just the number of resources in schools. And this was when I was in high school. I was going to say, paint the scene for us. So it was at a high school he spoke and you were a student. Yeah, I was a student um, at an academic program called SEO Scholars. And I was just coming off of a internship with a law firm and I was just super riled up um, and I really wanted to make a difference in some way or form um, and I just you know remember just being in middle school not having access to a lot of different clubs or you know resources the water tasted weird all of these different things you know certain stuff we couldn't bring home like textbooks and you know there was there was just a lot of um, you know just disparities that I, I learned about um, and that's when Taylor actually uh, told me about a uh, performance that they would be having at the Schomburg Center. Um, and that was my first uh, public speaking event where I was able to express myself through spoken word poetry. Um, and I said a spoken word poetry piece that uh, I will never forget. <laughs> and um, it, it was an amazing experience for me to just be able to express myself about the inequities in the school systems that I faced, that my peers faced, um, and just, just to have that platform to speak. Um, and I realized just how important that platform was. And I mean, to be able to, to go to school and I went to Stony Brook University and I graduated with a degree in political science in May. Um, and I came back, uh, Taylor offered me this position to work full time. Um, and it was just, it's just been an amazing experience to, to also provide students with that platform uh, through the medium of podcasting and through journalism. Okay, so what was the first season like, like what you were, the idea is to, to get students 
involved as the makers here and, and storytellers? Yeah, so um, so the the first season, um, I was actually the host, and and um, I, I interviewed uh, six or seven students um, about working your Ira Glass impression, right? Like that's right. I, I be... was I was like yeah, I was like listening to Ira and like trying to channel that, and um, and uh, yeah, the, the the first season was all about school segregation and, and how it manifested in New York City. Um, Really, through the voices of of students who were you know experiencing that issue firsthand and, um, but after that first season it it occurred to me and I think you know probably to the students too and to Adrian that you know you know this is great like you know i'm I'm this guy I'm not even from New York I'm from Mississippi like you know hosting this podcast and you know I was having a good time with it but um, wouldn't it be so much better if the students you know, had all of the training and, you know, knowledge to like, just be able to, um, do it totally themselves from start to finish. And so, um, we, uh, we paired up with, um, another, uh, outlet, the Heckinger report that reports on education and sort of pitched them on this idea of like, could we go in together and create an internship program? Um, cause we, I mean, we didn't have any money, right? So we're like, we're broke. We, you know, there's no way for us to on an internship program. You're more of an idea than a, than a fully right. formed well, we, organization. We like that's where we wanted to go. And so we, um, we, we went in with them and um, we put a grant proposal together, got accepted. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess 2018 um, is when we, we launched our, our internship program. And we had a handful of students that came in and um, that, that group, um, that's actually the group that changed the name of our podcast to Miseducation. They, um, uh, I forget who whose idea it was, but it just someone said it and it stuck. And when 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 the students came along, they had all sorts of like more creative ideas than than we had. And um, and then from then on, it's it's yeah, the way it's run is um, after school internship program where students come and uh, you know we teach kind of like the basics of journalism, the basics of audio. And then they uh, come up with story ideas um, related to inequality in the school system and go out and tell those stories. And so um, Sabrina can tell you uh, some of the maybe the early stories that, that she worked on. Um, we actually we, we co-hosted a, a season back in the day, Sabrina and I. Um, Sabrina, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, we did. Um, that was that was an amazing experience. Um, yes, yeah, so I was in high school and uh you know, one really, really memorable experience was uh, the sports equity issue that we had worked on. Um, and that revolved around, um, you know, just a court case that was actually brought against um, the DOE, um, a lawsuit that was brought against the DOE. And it was it was very, very interesting to go in um, and really just see the disparities uh, between schools in terms of the, you know, equitable access to sports teams in New York City public high schools. Um, schools that were majority students of color, low income versus schools that weren't. Um, and, and we really explored that issue. Um, we, you know, connected with and collaborated with um, David Rosen and, and really got to um, hear from different organizations on that issue. Um, and our episode is called Who Gets to Play? A uh, little plug in there for everybody to, to check that one out. Um, yeah, we can, we can even play a, a, a clip as we go. So yeah, so you had is there is there a moment from that one that you really remember vividly of that from that episode? 
Yeah, um, definitely. Taylor and I just just going into well, actually, we did an update episode um, about like a few months ago. Um, I went on the LIR from Stony Brook early in the morning um, and went into the city, uh, met up with Renika. Um, she is now a freshman at um, John Jay um, and she's she's awesome. She works. She used to work with us at the Bell. Um, and we both went and saw the update. We saw the court case. Uh, we brought in our recorder. Um, it was going through security. Even you weren't supposed to. We weren't supposed to. They thought it was some like something different in there. Um, uh, but we, you know, we opened the bag, show them it's okay. We're we're student reporters. It's just a recorder. We're not bringing any weapons. Um, so they let us through. Um, we went in and we're recording. You know, all of that background sound. Um, just just the entire uh case and everything um when we got to, to actually interview some some folks uh outside of that and it was just an amazing experience i'm going to cut in here and play a short clip we are appearing before the court today to request final approval of this class action settlement but as an athlete can i ask you how do you feel about this case i mean especially growing up in another country i mean back home it was never a problem as to who get to play sports. I mean, as long as you're good at it, you get to play. So coming here and seeing the challenges that Black and Latinx kids were facing when it came to sports and playing and doing something that they love, it kind of broke my heart. And the, yeah, and the, and the headline there was that it, it, um, there, it was a class action suit um, brought against the DOE and, and the students won. Um, um, they forced the DOE to settle and to um, expand access to sports teams across the city for students, black and brown students who uh, go to schools that don't have very many sports. And so now um, any student in the city can play any sport, um, even if their school doesn't offer it. And so they can, you know, find a team at a nearby school and go join that. So that was, it was a pretty cool um, journey to follow because the, the folks who were fighting, fighting that fight were, you know, it was like years and years and years of no progress. And then they finally broke through with this big court victory. Yeah. And so your podcast was able to, to sort of document this moment through a student lens. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. After this short message, the student centered podcast gets a big break and how other educators are using the miseducation podcast in their classes. Stay with us. For more than four decades, the ISTE conference has been recognized as one of the world's most influential education events. It's where educators and education leaders gather to engage in hands-on learning, share best practices, and hear from the brightest minds from the world of education and beyond. At ISTE Live 23, June 25th through 28th in Philadelphia and online, you'll discover what's next in education and explore ideas for using tech to revolutionize learning. From real-world lessons that empower students, to groundbreaking ways to collaborate, to leading-edge edtech tools, you'll find out how to lead next-gen learning during hundreds of strategy-packed sessions. Rediscover your passion for teaching and learning as you reconnect with peers and meet an enthusiastic global community of educators. Then bring that joy back to your school. Register today at isteconference.org. 
it's hard to get attention for a podcast <laughs> to get listeners. How how is it? You know, are you finding ways to to find an audience for these student um, stories? You know, it, it's always remarkable hearing um, from people in like the least expected places that and 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 how how much they've been uh, impacted by our podcasts. Um, you know, and, and not just in New York City. I mean, we have folks from really all across the country that will reach out um, and just say how impressed they are with with our work. And, um, and I mean, just like the most random places, you know, rural Georgia, somebody reached out. Um, they were, I don't know, like the, the email was like cabinet company or something in rural Georgia. And I was like, what in the world are you doing listening to this? Um and uh, and we've also we've had uh, a number of college professors who have really taken to it and have assigned um, our podcast as you know part of their syllabus, which is really cool. Um, I think our core audience is is New York City teachers and parents, um, which you would expect, right? And so we have a, a really good following of of educators in the city that. Um, listen to it on a regular basis and share it with, with their networks and share it with their students. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, like we don't, we don't have a, a big marketing budget or, you know, we don't, we're not connected to like, you know, we weren't, we haven't been acquired by Apple or Spotify yet. So um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, a slog to try to, you know, get, get new listeners all the time. Um, I will say uh, what, what really helped recently is we did a series with, WNYC studios. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they have, I mean, obviously an enormous reach and audience and, um, part of the series got picked up for the New Yorker radio hour. And so it was broadcast on public radio stations around the country. So that was a really cool moment. Um, just a couple of months ago that happened. And so what was the episode there? Yeah, it's, um, so the, the the story is about uh, it's it's also sports related. It's it's about a high school campus in Brooklyn that houses four different high schools. Um, three of the high schools are predominantly black and brown. The other high school is predominantly Asian and white in terms of the student body. And um, for years and years and years, these schools have shared the same building, but they've had separate sports programs. Um, and so the, the school that's predominantly white, like they not only had a separate program, they actually had about twice as many teams, different, different sports, um, that students could play compared to the other three schools, which all played together. Um, and over the pandemic, they decided to change that and, and unite and play as a single sports program. And so, um, the, the series follows the girls volleyball team in the first year of this new merged um, sports program. And, uh, it's a really great story that, um, yeah, the, uh, it's a four, four part series that aired, um, both on miseducation and the United States of anxiety, which is a WNYC show. And then the New Yorker radio hour, um, did an, an hour long version. They sort of condensed the whole four part, four part series into a single, uh, hour. And, um, yeah, it's very good. I encourage listeners to check that out. It's called keeping score. Now, by now, I mean, I understand the, um, the, the over time, it sounds like the students have become more and more involved throughout the process. Can you say where that is? 
these days. Sabrina, do you want to talk about um, just like our, our model? And so this year we've, we're sort of shifting our internship model a little bit um, to have two different tracks. Uh, yeah. yeah, Sabrina can tell you the, the details there. Awesome. Yeah, so um, we're really excited. We um, have now a beginner track. We've decided to start a beginner track uh, for a miseducation internship, um, as well as an advanced track. So we have 12 students planned for our beginner track and then six students for advanced track. And those advanced track students um, were actually students who participated in um, our Summer Youth Podcast Academy, a uh, three-week intensive podcast academy um, you know, just a bunch of workshops, editing, script writing um, that we actually had in August. Um, and uh, they're amazing students and we're really excited to have them back. Um, and the plan is to actually focus on a project that deals with the lack of journalism in New York City public high schools. Um, so we're going to actually just have them pair up, um, connect with students in, in different schools across the city, um, that either have just started uh, their, you know, journalism programs or some that have them fully established. And we're going to have them document that there, there are student reporters, they're going in. Um, they're going to, yeah, definitely just get that story, uh, come back and we're going to uh, help them as they edit and, you know, write the scripts and, you know, they're, they're going to be professionals. And we're really excited for that for advanced track students and for the beginner track students, um, they're gonna be focusing on uh, stories about you know, inequities in the public school system. Um, they're all gonna be taking just a different, you know, slightly different take on it. Um, each, individual, each individual student um, bringing their own you know, unique perspective into it. And, and we're really excited for it. I think listeners are, are gonna be excited too, so. You know, it sounds like that at the beginning, some of the students you worked with had a different view of what what a podcast was or what they were excited about than, than the Ira Glass model of story, you know, like reporting and the sort of um, narrative. Is that, can you say a little bit about some of those early, um, you know, kind of experiences you had with students? It's, it's funny. Yeah. Every, um, every year it seems like students come in and uh, you know, they're like going through the, the, the workshops and they're like, wait, so we have to write? Like we, I thought, I thought this was a podcast. I thought we were just gonna be talking the whole time. Like as if they were, you know, just a chat for them. Right, right. right. And, and, you know, obviously like, you know, there are um, various podcast formats. Um, the show that, that you guys do is different from what we do, right? We have ours are, you know, narrative, like fully scripted, um, you know, really, you know, every, every little piece is really thoughtful. We do, we do some narrative series, but you're right. Week to week. Right. Like right now we're just, we are just talking. You're right. But it's, it's funny. So we actually, um, we started to come around and realize, you know what, maybe we should be doing more of like a, just a weekly interview style show because it's, it's so labor intensive to put out, you know, these like really highly produced series and, and, you know, we can really do it like twice a year. Um, and so we have so much dead time where we're just sort of losing audience. You know, they're just, they're like, all right, well, not, not sure if they're coming back. So I'm going to unsubscribe and, you know, clear out my feed. Um, right. And so we, uh, we actually were talking to our, our students who are in the advanced track last night and we, we posed it to them and we said, you know, so we, you know, we, we, we do this, you know, scripted thing and you guys are going to work on this big series, but 
you know, would you be interested in also doing like a, you know, week to week um, Q&A style and like their faces lit up like before I could even finish the question, they were like, yes, they were like, oh, my God, I thought you'd never ask. So. Um, so, yeah, that that is, I think, in the cards for miseducation. I think we're going to at some point this year try to kick off um, more of like a weekly presence and, um, yeah, tell, you know, timely stories about the New York City school system. I love it. It's so funny because our, 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 we're like the flip here at EdSearch Podcast where we went from the weekly and grew an audience and now we are trying to do as many of these narrative series as we can, um, but they are time consuming. As as people know, we're sort of like, we'll have another one of that series coming out soon, I promise. Um, <laughs> hang in there. Yeah, so what has been um, the biggest challenge I guess uh, one of the biggest challenges, um, well, there's, there's two that sort of come to, to forefront, um, which sort of relates to the whole recruiting process and, and, and all of that. I mean, it's just we get so many amazing applicants to our program. Um, and it's it's unfortunate that we only have the capacity for a certain number. Um, so of course, I mean, people who, who do recruiting, they, they know the struggle of, of having to like reject applicants. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's like, you know, these are students that you, you know, you look through their applications, you know, and you, you really just like form that connection, even though maybe you may not see them face to face, but, um, you know, it's like, we we have to send out a whole round of, of, you know, rejections today. And it's like, it, it kind of weighs on you and I, you know, it's, it would be really nice in the future, of course, and this is always our goal to, to just be able to increase our capacity, which of course requires funding, um, you know, funding for the equipment, funding for, you know, just extra uh, instruction time and, and all of those different things. So that's first thing that comes to forefront, um, specifically as it relates to the students, um, the students are amazing. They are so, you know, the students we admit, they're super passionate about everything they're doing. Um, some of the challenges uh, that they sort of face um, you know, when it comes to the script writing process, you know, it can be, you know, it's a writing intensive. Um, and of course it, it, it takes time. Um, you know, some, some of them can get a little frustrated on some ends, but you know, they always just persevere, um, and push through and, and, you know, when they come out with their finished product, it's just like, you're like, wow, we did that. Like, you know, um, and, and we're just so immensely proud of them and all of the hard work they put in. Um, but definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that it's, it's, um, yeah, every year that's, I would say the most difficult part of the process. Cause if you think about it, a 30, like a 30 minute podcast, that's the script for that is longer than any term paper a student will write in high school and possibly in college. I mean, it could be 20 pages long, that script. And so, um, and it, you know, and then, you know, knowing how to write, in and out of tape and make thoughtful transitions and, um, and, and, and you've got to fact check ear. this. Fact it's got to yeah. I mean, be accurate. This is not, yeah. And so, um, it's a different type of writing than, than they've done. Um, I will say like once they sort of crack the code and figure out, you know, that, Oh, like I can actually write like I speak. I don't have to use formal grammar. I can write with fragments, you know, like, I, that's when it, you sort of see the light bulb and they're like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Um, but yeah, there's always a bit of a learning curve um, adapting to like what it takes to, to write for audio. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's a really long, long process. But by the end of it, I think they do feel really accomplished. Yeah. Um, just brought up 
definitely one one big point for our uh, our students is writing for the ear. Um, and Jeff, you know, you you know about this. Uh, yeah, so we definitely just just hammer that in, and we see them over the course of just time as they just improve in in that in that field of writing for the ear and and really just painting a descriptive scene. And um, it's it's just so exciting to just see the process. So, yeah. And yeah, so you, um, as far as other, I, I guess I'm always looking for anecdotes, as you know, for talking about like telling these stories. Is there another moment from any of your episodes that you think is really like, if people hear nothing else, right, you've got all this, you know, material out there now that, that would really just kind of bring to life what it is you're about? Man, that's so hard. It's like it's like choosing your favorite child, Jeff. I know. Okay, give me I'll give me a couple then and you don't have to say it's your favorite. I believe it was season 2. Um we did an intro to season 2. Sabrina, you'll remember this where um and Zoe. Yeah, so uh <laughs> so we had Sabrina um whose elementary school was predominantly black, almost all black, right? Um, and Zoe, who's, who grew up on the Upper East Side and, and whose elementary school was uh, strikingly white for, you know, for growing up in New York City. And, um, you know, we're sort of introducing this idea of like racial segregation in schools and, and differences in resources and opportunities. And, um, and so we had uh, Sabrina and Zoe bring in their elementary school yearbooks and they, they were looking at each other's yearbooks and just sort of flipping through them and commenting on what they saw. And that was just, um, obviously your books are very visual and we work in, you know, <laughs> a different medium. Um, but it, it just, it, I felt like it just really took listeners um, into that moment. And it was just, uh, I think, very striking. And so that was that was one for me that, that really always stands out. Um, and then um, in terms of like a, a sort of different style, different season. Um, we did a season, I, I guess it may have been season three, um, about a high school called the James Baldwin School um, in New York City. Uh, it's one of the city's transfer high schools. Um, the city has a whole network of what they call transfer high schools, um, which are exclusively for students who have um, started at a different high school and had to leave and haven't been successful, have gotten behind on credits or had some issues. And so they come to these transfer high schools as like a fresh start, a second chance. And um, we did a whole season profiling students at this one high school, the James Baldwin School. Um, and that was just, I mean, it was an incredible experience. We got to spend a lot of time in the school. Um, our, our student interns who, you know, went to other high schools got to go to that high school um, for like, you know, during the school day and just sort of sitting on classes. And um, it was just so eye-opening and it was a beautiful school and the stories were all really, really moving. And so, um, yeah, I encourage folks to check that out too. I think I think it was season three um, on transfer schools. And what about the behind the scenes like moments where students are out there with microphones in the real world talking to people? It must, I mean, that's hard for, it's hard for any new journalist to do. Um, and they're, you know, young and very new to this whole thing. Um, how do you, 
has there been a moment where people are, are really struggling with that aspect of the craft? Yeah. Um, you know, and it, one thing comes to mind is, is we actually, um, had an activity for our, <clears throat> our summer youth podcast Academy, uh, interns, uh, sorry, uh, participants back in August. And, um, yeah, sorry. Basically, uh, we had them go out with their microphones, um, right into the, you know, wall street and just, you know, um, uh, Vox style, uh, interviewing, um, we just dropped it on them. We were like, okay, we want you guys to go. We didn't tell them in advance. We did. Uh, it. Nice. We just right. dropped it on them. Um, I know I, I saw hearts racing, um, but we really, uh, it's, it's, it's an awesome activity. Just, just get them out in the field. Um, and we had them just go up to these tourists and these strangers just around that area. Cause you know, it's, it's so filled with so much people and they, you know, just, just going up and just asking questions, asking, you know, how these people are doing, you know, who they are and, and just about their stories and their lives. And um, it was great. They had so much fun. We came back inside the building, ready to uh, upload that audio. Um, you can definitely hear there was a lot of interference going on. Um, some type of cell tower bounce back. I am not even sure. Oh, no. The tape <laughs> was sort of tape was bad. You know, glitched. Tape, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was messed up. And, and you know, they, they went out and they were so excited and they, asked, they got some really great content. And, you know, um, it just it definitely just shows, you know, there, there are certain moments sometimes when when things don't happen as expected, especially when you're going out, of course, recording and you want that perfect tape. Um, and you want them to have a good experience early on. But they yeah. but they did, though. They, they did. I think they, they yeah, just the, you know, I think every journalist probably has that moment where they realize, you know, I've kind of got this superpower, you know, like I, if I have a microphone in my hand or a reporter's notebook in my hand, I can kind of ask anybody anything. Right. And they're not going to look at me super funny because they know I'm a journalist. Right. And so um, I think that, that they had that moment of realization, like, well, this is actually really cool. Like it's, it's not, it maybe not as, intimidating socially as, as you know, they, they built it up to be. Um, and, uh, and so we, we heard from, from them after that, that they really enjoyed that activity and it, it sort of built their confidence to be able to go talk to other people in the future. And, and so, um, yeah, I think, um, that's, that's an activity that, that we're going to continue to do every year. And, um, once that, you know, if you can go talk to a stranger, you know, uh, and, and like, you know, bustling like New York City on the street, then um, it's, you know, not as intimidating to like talk to a classmate or a teacher, you know, do an interview with them. And so, um, yeah, we kind of we kind of start with like the most intimidating and then hopefully like everything after that is a little less. And last question, do you have any sense of, you know, going back, Taylor, to your journey as a teacher, um, do you are you working with teachers in any way to um, you know, incorporate people adopting, listening to these podcasts in their, in their schools or in any other way, um, plugging back into the schools? We, we really want to. Um, and so if, if you're a teacher and you're listening to this and you're like, huh, maybe, maybe I could start a podcast club, um, reach out to us. Um, you can, you can, you know, contact us from our website, bellvoices.org. Um, but yeah, we, um, we we all the time hear from from teachers that are asking for resources and support, and you know we try to offer as much as we can. We're a small team, so we can't um, do as much like hands on 
support with schools as, as we would hope. But um, in the future, that's definitely something that, that we aspire to do more of. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, the other thing that we're, um, we're trying to do, and, and we, we did with our Keeping Score series, we created like a, um, some teacher materials for like the classroom. So we have like a, a student listening guide for each episode that they can use to promote discussion of the series, you know, assign it for homework, that kind of thing. Um, and so we're um, really interested in, in creating like curricular materials for teachers that they can use just to get um, our content in front of their students and have them talking about it because we think that, you know, I mean, what, what better way to, um, you know, to, to, to stimulate, you know, critical thinking about, you know, social issues and, and, and you know, everything that's going on in the world than to actually talk about your school system, you know, your, your experience, um, how your school compares to the school down the block and why that is. And, um, and so we think that our, our podcast um, offers a great entry point to those conversations and, we really hope that teachers will continue to use this in their classes and, and reach out to us and, and maybe we can find ways to, to partner. Well, great. Well, I, I think I'll leave it at that. Thank you both for taking the time to share your story. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. This has been the Ed Surge podcast. Every week we look at innovation in education and how education is changing this episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young, with editing by Rebecca Koenig. Music for this episode was by Rowan Jane. Clips from the Miseducation podcast were courtesy of The Bell. And thanks to the students in New York City Public Schools who helped make that podcast. We'd love to hear your ideas for what we should explore next. Send any suggestions or feedback to me at jeff at edsurge.com. Or ring us up at our new call-in line and leave a voicemail. That number is 202-990-8525. That's 202-990-8525. We might include your response in a future episode. And to make sure you keep up with new episodes, follow our podcast wherever you listen. Or sign up for the EdSurge podcast newsletter. Just go to edsurge.com and click on the word newsletter in the top right. We will be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening.